0: We're in this new series, Desiring the Glory of God. And this series is, is about the glory of God and explaining how this is just the, the center of reality is the most important thing. Last week, we talked about three different levels of living life. And we said the lowest level is living for your own desires, living for your, just your own happiness on the surface level. And we compared that to, that's the way that a, a sea slug lives its life just seeking its own happiness, seeking its own desires, and we don't want to live at that level. But then we said the second level, the way it's often described, was we live for the glory of God. And that sounds good, and that's true, and we should live for the glory of God, but sometimes it can seem that there is something missing there. There's something that's not fully connected. And sometimes, even as Christians, when we know we're living for the glory of God, and we should, that it can seem like some kind of dry duty to us. And so what I proposed to you last time is there is a highest level of living that once we we understand this and we see that it's biblical and it makes sense, it is a game changer for everything. And honestly, it makes all of life and reality come into focus and to start to make sense. And this is not living for your happiness, not living for the glory of God, but finding your happiness in the glory of God. And this is a... uh, concept that it takes a while for us to grasp, and so we're going spend the next several messages trying to unpack this, and what does this really mean, and how does, how does this work, that we're not just living for our desires, but we're making the Lord our desire of our hearts, and how do we understand that in the right way? So as we progress in this series, today I'm going to give you five uh, statements, five truths that I'd like you to think about, and they're kind of building blocks as we think through this. And so I hope you're, you're taking notes, you write these down in, in your bulletins. But the first one of these, we have to get this right. The first one of these truths, if, if we miss this one, everything else is going to be built on a foundation that is, that is rotten and that won't stand, and everything will be messed up from, from the center on out. So we have to get this first statement right. And it is, in one sense, it is simple, it's only four words, but it is, it is shocking because this will go against maybe what you have been told your entire life, from when you were a kid to now, from your parents to people on TV to everything. This will go against this, and this is this truth. It's not about you. The world is not about you. You may have been told that. You may be thinking, what do you mean? Of course it is. Maybe you don't want to say that out loud, but there's a part of your heart that is thinking, yeah, it's, it's about me. I'm super special. I'm pretty awesome. My mom told me I was. And the world is here, I mean, for, basically for me. I mean, I am the, the shining diamond in the uh, center, of the, the facet of this, this ring that exists to show my magnificence. Okay, I'm the center here. No, no. Here's this, for everything else in this whole series to make sense, we have to realize it's not about you. And like I said, it's four words. It should be easy for us to comprehend. But because of our hearts and the way we've been brought up, it, it can be difficult. So I want to just, I want to drill this into your minds. I want to make this so there's no possible way that you can forget this. So I want to communicate this in several different ways. Okay? So there's, there's you. What we're saying is it's not about you. Okay? <laughs> Making this clear. We'll say this in another way. See, we got here the ABCs, the alphabet. Okay? V. There's one missing. You, because it's not about you. That's what we're saying. <laughs> There's a female sheep not having this, because it's not about you. Okay, I, I told you it was going to be memorable. I didn't say anything about it not being painful. Okay, so j- getting this across to you. Let me do just, just kind of one more. Make this super clear. You won't forget this. I want you to, I want you to understand. Okay, this is, this is a boat. Okay, we got that. We got a boat. This is a, uh, <laughs> this child has some uh, severe mucus problems. Okay, get a very, very snotty nose here. So we got that. We have here, this is actor Hugh Jackman, plays Wolverine, among other things. Hugh Jackman, all right? And if you remember the old The Addams Family Show, which I'm going to tell you there was a character on this, and his name comes in It. Okay? What's the purpose of this? It's not about Hugh! (laughs) Okay? It's not about Hugh! (laughs) You know, if you leave here today and somebody asks you, what did Pastor uh, preach about today? And you're like, I don't remember anything. It's like, I I can't try any harder, okay? But this is the main thing that we need to start with this because we live in a world that tells you that it is about you, that everything's about you. You are just the, the center of everything. You are the center of all reality. The difficult part is not understanding this. It's believing it. Think about what is the, Do you know, statistically what is the most commonly spoken word in the English language? Spoken word, I. That is the word that you use the most. You use the word I the most. Think of your own perceptions. We think about ourselves all the time. The amount of time that you think about yourself or thinking about other people, we think about ourselves. I mean, we're, there's something, it's true, we're with ourselves all the time. I mean, I can, I really can't remember a time where I wasn't around Um, and the same for you you're with yourself all the time so there's some natural things where you think okay you're it's about you because you are in close proximity proximity to yourself you know you think of everything from your point of view you look around and in a sense you are the center of the way you perceive the world you perceive reality we think about what is when we think about life we think about what will this mean for me How does this impact me? How will it make me feel? What will I get out of this? These are questions that we uh, think about when we counter anything. We think, how is this going to matter to me in my life? Society reinforces this all the time. Commercials, think of how commercials reinforce this. Advertisers, they use this. Buy this product. You deserve it. Take time to pamper yourself. You deserve a break today. Treat yourself. Okay? People are telling you all the time it's about you and telling you you deserve to be the center. You deserve all this special attention. Parents, people at school, all over the place. And you know what? American Christianity, too. So oftentimes, so much of what passes as Christianity in America is all about what God can do for you. How God can meet your needs. How God can give you the things that you want to have. You know, sometimes even the way that we preach the cross is about that. You know, Jesus came and died because you are so awesome. He just couldn't live without you because you are just the the greatest thing. And so we have this, you know, and our hearts are sinful and it twists reality and it makes life All about us. So yeah, we have all these different factors together and all these different things. And people, yeah, they end up thinking, I must be be the sun because I seem to be the center of the galaxy. I seem to be the center of the universe. I must be a giant mass of incandescent gas because I am the sun and everything revolves around me. That's the way we think. That's the way that we, we go through life. And so for everything else in this series to make sense... We have to have this, this starting point, realizing it's not about us. We're not at the center. Uh, something else is. We need to have a, a Copernican revolution. Ever hear about Copernicus, who he was? You know, before him, it was commonly t- to believe that the earth was the center of, of the, the solar system. Okay? And everything revolved around us. Because that's how it looks like. You know, it looks like this, you know, the planets and the stars and even the sun and the moon, they, from our perspective, it looks like they revolve around us. You know, and he you know, got out his telescope and did his equations and came up with this new theory and said, you know what, I, I think it just looks this way, but in reality, it's uh, the sun is the center. And we revolve around that. And that is the, uh, the spiritual, theological Copernican revolution that we, each of us need to have. Because the sinners were self-centered. I mean, literally, we put ourselves in the center. And we need to realize we are not the center. God is the center, that he is the one that is at the center of uh, our life, the center of uh, this, this story of creation, this story of the world, that I am not the main character, you are not the main character. You know, this, this whole world existence is not the story of your life with your soundtrack playing, you know, and, and people watching, and that you are the main character. We're not. God is the main one. It is about him. He is the center of, of everything, of all reality. And he is the center of creation and it is all about him. So we need this Copernican revolution in our life. We put him in the center. It's not about you. God is the center. And so everything else that we build on this as we talk about the glory of God, we need to get ourselves out of that central place. Now, I'm not saying you're not important at all. Okay, we're going to see that we have importance and God has given us that. Uh, we need to keep that in the right place, okay? But God is the, 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 the center of everything else. God's the center, and he deserves to be the center. We don't deserve it, but he does. And he knows that he is the center, and it's good for him to realize that because he knows all truth, so he knows it. And you know what? He encourages us to view him as the center because that's just right. That's just reality, He encourages that, and that is good for him to do that. If he encouraged something else in the center, that would be messed up. So we're going to talk about why this is good. We're going to explain this. But it starts with that that first point that it is not about us. It's about God, and we see it's about his glory. Why everything exists ultimately is for God and for his glory. So this is the Next point that we're going to talk about, point number two, as we as we work through this, everything exists for the glory of God. If you disagree with this, I will talk you out of this. If you think it's something else that no, we exist for. It, nope. I, I just want to say I, I believe you're wrong. Okay, uh, we need to wrap our minds around that God is the center. Everything exists ultimately for him. That's what it's all about. Eventually and ultimately all arrows point to God. Everything exists for him and everything exists for his glory. This is a, a starting point for good theology for us to have. If you're going to have good thinking about God that is right and true, we have to have this at the foundation that, that God exists and everything exists for him. And he deserves it. This is, this is, this is good you know, for those of you that have little kids, you know, when they're, uh, they learn to talk, you know, what is a toddler's favorite word, or well, at least one of them? Why? Okay, there's the other ones. But, the, you know, you've, they say, why everything? You know, in uh, every question, and they don't stop with, you know, why? And you give an answer and they say, well, why is that? Well, why, why? And it keeps going. You know what? God is the ultimate answer to all the whys. You know, if you want it to go all the way, you know, you know, why do I have to brush my teeth? Well, it's because you don't want your, uh, to get cavities. Why don't I want to get cavities? Uh, because the, you'll have to get your teeth filled. Well, why don't I want to have my teeth filled? Well, that's painful and it costs money and you want to have teeth later on. Well, why do I want to have, I mean, it could just keep going on. But eventually, in anything in life, if you do, if you trace it far enough, the answer is, we're going to see it is the glory of God. It may take several steps to be there, or it might be immediate. Like, 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 it points to the glory of God directly, but everything is about the glory of God. The, one of the, the great confessions of faith has a great, uh, well, a catechism that asks it this way. This is the Westminster Shorter Catechism. Right off the bat, asks this question. What is the chief end of man? I'm going to break this down. Chief end, what is, what is the ultimate the most important? Okay, when it says end, it means like the purpose. What are all the arrows pointing for? What is the ultimate purpose for mankind? Men and women, everyone, why do we exist? And the answer that it gives, this is not from the Bible, but I think it is very biblical and true. The answer it gives is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. That's worth writing down and it's worth believing. I think it's absolutely true. The ultimate reason... You and I exist, where everything exists. The ultimate reason that every floating speck of dust in space exists is for the glory of God. And directly or indirectly, it funnels to that purpose. The heavens declare the glory of God. We exist to glorify God in our hearts. And no matter if you come to Christ as Savior or you reject him, Your life and everything is going to funnel one way or another into the glory of God. When we talk about the glory of God, I want you to realize Scripture talks about it in several different ways. It may talk about it as um, his, kind of his name. I'm going to show you just a barrage of verses in a moment here. Because I want to convince you that this is very, 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 very biblical. But it doesn't, some will say, use the word glory, but others will, times it'll be described in different ways. So it'll talk about his name. Now, what do we mean by you know, just someone's name? You know, it doesn't just mean, okay, here's the label that you have. But when you talk about somebody having a good name or not wanting their name to be tarnished, that's talking about their reputation, okay? So God's glory is his name, is his, his reputation, his renown, his fame. There's all these different ways that you could say this. And so I kind of want to give you a little shock and awe barrage of verses here, okay? Because I want you to see that this is biblical, and this is just tip of the iceberg, okay? But let's look at some of these. Isaiah 43, 6 through 7. Bring my sons from afar and my daughters from the end of the earth, everyone who is called by my name, whom I created for my glory, whom I formed and I made. Why were people made? For his glory. So that says it very clearly right there. Psalm 79, verse 9. Help us, O God of our salvation. Why? For the glory of your name deliver us and atone for our sins for your name's sake. See, it's using name name. And this is another way to say for God's glory, his, his reputation here, for the glory of his name, his namesake, his renown, that people would know what he's like, that his reputation would go out. Psalm 23. Think of that. That's a that comforting psalm. You know, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. But sometimes we pass over this part. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness. Why does he do it? It gives a reason. For his name's sake. Even that, all that Psalm 23 and all that the good stuff there, it's ultimately that is for his glory as well. Yeah, great comfort for us, but for his glory. Psalm 106, verse 8. He saved them for his name's sake that he might make known his mighty power. So talking here that uh, God's salvation that he gives, it shows his reputation, shows his name that it's displaying different things about him too. Here, his his mighty power and salvation as well. We have a few more of these. Isaiah forty eight, nine through eleven. We see it here quite a bit. For my name's sake, I defer my anger. So when when he when he doesn't judge, when he gives mercy, what it, here it's saying it's for his name's sake. For the sake of my praise, I restrain it for you, that I might not cut you off. Behold, I have refined you, but not as silver. I have tried you in the furnace of affliction. For my own sake, and for my own sake I do it. For how should my name be profaned? My glory I will not give to another. So, in the old testament here, his preservation of Israel, his uh, relenting of, of of wiping them out and giving them what they deserve, is for his name. His reputation was tied up with these people. And you can say, Well, it's his mercy, he just loves them so much. Okay, yeah, he does. But ultimately this is also saying we can't miss this. This is about his glory. And his glory being made known, his glory being seen by those who appreciate it and also by those that don't. And he's saying, I'm not gonna give my glory to another. That's a huge, important thing. That God, he's not about sharing his glory. Well, God, you should share. I was taught to share. It's not good for God to share his glory. We're going to explain this. It would be bad for us if God was okay with just sharing his glory with with idols and with things that don't deserve it. It is is good and proper for God to be jealous of his glory. In the same way that it is good and proper for a, a spouse to be jealous of their spouse. God in his, his glory, it is, it is for him. Because, and we're going to see, this also ends up being the best thing for us, for God to be jealous of his glory. We'll explain this. A few more. These are some New Testament ones. This is Jesus, okay, for the crucifixion. He prays, Father, I desire that they also, whom you have given me, may be with me where I am to see my glory that you have given me because you love me before the foundation of the world. He's talking about the apostles here, and he's saying you've given them to me, and what I desire is for them to see my glory, for it to be displayed so that they see this, they understand this. And Jesus is recognizing that he had glory with God before the foundation of the world. His glory, when he was on earth, it was, it was veiled. We didn't, it wasn't seen the way that it was before, but he wanted them to be able to see this and understand, and to be glorified in their hearts, their lives, their hearts. And he wants this for us as well. The book of Ephesians. I mean, some of you are studying this in, in Bible study. Salvation, what is this all about? What is the reason that God gives why he saves us according to the book of Ephesians? He chose us in him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ. Wow, a lot of good things there for us. That's amazing to think about. According to the purpose of his will, it's all according to his plan, to the praise of his glorious grace. That his grace would be glorified. That part of him would be be seen and savored that he gives us all of this, this goodness, this salvation adopted by him, even though we're rebels and we don't deserve it. And he, he, he dies for us, and he, he brings us to himself, and he saves us. We receive this by, by faith alone. He gets the glory for this. It shows how awesome he is in his grace and his mercy, and we get to see this. And if you're a Christian and you realize just how much grace God has lavished upon you. It's not just a little bit, it's, it's lots and lots and lots. He has just dumped grace upon you. He has backed up dump truck after dump truck of his grace and goodness and dumped this on you, and it keeps on coming, okay? This shows us how good he is to us. We don't deserve this. It's for the praise of his glorious grace, And even those that reject him. Pharaoh here, an enemy of God. For scripture says to Pharaoh, For this very purpose I have raised you up, that I might show my power in you, and that my name might be proclaimed in all the earth. Even in those that make themselves and stay as enemies of the Lord, he will be glorified in them as well. Not in a way that they're going to like it in the end, but in a way that still funnels to and contributes to his glory as well. And one last one. Romans 11.36, For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen. And even the first part of this we could underline as well because it's saying everything is from him. Everything is from him. Everything is, is to him. Everything is about him. Everything funnels to God and everything funnels to his glory. It is the ultimate purpose. These are just a few verses. On the back of your bulletin, I've given you these and others. And I, I would like you sometime, you know, tell you, go through there and, and underline. You know, do these again, underline the other ones. And uh, that was just verses that could fit on the back of the bulletin, okay? You're going to see this everywhere in Scripture. If you start looking for not just the word glory, but his namesake, all of these things, for the praise of his grace, all of these things, let these pop out to you over and over and over. Okay, this is all throughout Scripture. It is for his glory. Everything exists for the glory of God. So if we get this, it's not about us. Everything doesn't exist for our glory. It exists for his glory. This is starting point what we need to realize. Now, what does it mean to glorify God? We'll talk about this a bit today. We're going to talk about it a lot more next week. But one way that we can say this, is that to glorify God is to magnify his worth. To magnify his worth, his, his value, to magnify his excellence, to magnify his, his goodness. Anything about him, everything about him, to make it seen. And so we understand it, that we know it. And we're seeing not just that we know it, but that we delight in it, that we savor it, that we, we see it not just with head knowledge, but with heart knowledge and everything as well. To glorify God is to, to magnify his worth. You know, to, to, to glorify, another way to say it, you, a way that we use it sometimes is you, when we make something look great. Sometimes, you know, people will talk about like a TV show that's violent and say, you know what, this show glorifies violence. Think about that. What do they mean when they say that? And they say, that, okay, it's a bad thing. Violence shouldn't be glorified. It means it makes it look like this violence is a good thing. It makes it look great. So when you have things that are being glorified or made to look good when they're actually evil, that's a bad thing, right? And there's so much in uh, that we see in the world that makes sin look good to people, that tries to promote it as good. Um, watching a TV show and you know, watching this and realize, okay, there's two people and they're in the relationship and, you know, shows, they they kind of manipulate you. They make your heart go out for the characters and think, oh, this is sweet, wonderful, and realize, wait a second, this is trying to get my heart to think that this thing, that God would say this is wrong, that this is good. So much out there is trying to make the wrong things look good to look great. So it's wrong when you make those things look great, but it's, if you have something that actually is great, to make that look like it's a good thing, that that's good to do. And there are good things in this life and it's okay for them to, to, to look good. Uh, but the ultimate good thing is for, for God to look good, for us to realize and see that he is good, that he is awesome, that he is majestic above, above all, and to really realize this. A point that we need to clarify when we talk about glorifying God or magnifying his greatness, we don't actually make God any greater than he already is. Okay? Got to be real clear on that. God is already super maxed out as far as greatness. Okay? He is the being above which none can exist. I mean, there is, he is off the charts, supreme position. There is no room for improvement in God and his greatness and his majesty, his worth, his value in all of this. So when we talk about magnifying the worth of God, we, we need to think about this in the right way. An illustration that I thought was real helpful is one that I got from John Piper. He writes a lot on this topic about uh, the, glory, uh, the glory of God and delighting in the glory of God. And it's the, the difference between a microscope and a telescope. And thinking about how is the difference uh, between the way that a uh, a microscope magnifies something, and the way that a telescope magnifies something. So think about this: this is a this is a microscope, and you can't put real big things under this microscope. Okay, I can't even fit my finger in there. Okay, uh, that's that's small. You can put a little slide, and you can look at a little amoeba, or I guess you could look at some of your own you know blood if you wanted to, or you know some real small things. Uh, you could stick it. You know, look at a hair or uh, you know, a boogie or who knows what. You could stick it on. You could examine it and take a look. But a purpose of a microscope is you're taking something that's actually really small and you're making it look big so you can see it. You're blowing it up bigger than it than it really is. So that's a way that you can magnify. But then you have a telescope. Okay, and the way that a telescope is going to magnify is you, you can't use this to be looking at an amoeba or little tiny things. You're looking, at, you're looking at big things, okay? And actually, this wouldn't even work real well to look at anything that's even uh, you know, in this room. You have to go outside. This is for looking at the stars, looking at things that are way out there. And what this does is it takes something that's actually huge in real life and makes it appear to us closer to the way that it actually is. Okay, I mean, there are stars that are out there that are they're bright and they're enormous and they look like little pinpricks to us. I mean, even the sun that's there, and it looks like the size of like a quarter, you know, if you just held it up like this, and it's bright. You can't be like staring at it. You shouldn't be. Okay, but it looks small. You could cover it up with your, your hand. But that's because it's far away. And these stars that are out there, they look like they're nothing, but there's some of these stars that if you put a star like Antares, in the same place where our sun is, it would swallow up the earth, it's so big. So these things are giant, but they're they're far away, and our eyes are not good, okay? And so we don't see them for the way that they really are. So think about this. When we magnify God's greatness, are we magnifying it like a microscope or like a telescope? Is God this small, little, tiny God That we got to puff him up and make him seem bigger and more impressive to us. But he's really not much. And we realize that is not the case. God is huge, God is majestic. We can't wrap our hearts or minds around him. And so we magnify God not like a microscope magnifies, we magnify God the way that a telescope magnifies. He's huge. He's big. He's important. We can't wrap our minds around him. He's transcendent, and the eyes of our heart are very, very dim. So when we talk about glorifying him, we talk about magnifying him as we study the word, as we think about him and his creation and his acts of salvation and everything that he's done, what we're doing is we are trying to see more accurately the enormous, awesome God that is really there. And to see him more for how he really is. And you know, even a telescope, it makes it bigger so we can see some of these things, but that's not really the size that it is. And even our best efforts in this life to try and see God for as, as big and amazing as he is, we're, we're magnifying him, but there's way more. He, No matter how well we praise him here this morning, he deserves more. No matter how awesome he is in your heart as you think about him, He deserves more, and he is actually bigger and greater than that. And I don't even know in heaven if we ever get to the point, because we are finite creatures, where we'll ever be able to take that in. But realize that's going to make eternity awesome? Because maybe it's an eternity of zooming in closer and closer and closer on the God that's really there. And you are not going to get bored. You are not going to get bored in eternity. We magnify him. Psalm thirty four verse three. O magnify the Lord with me. Let us exalt his name together. Magnify and exalt uses synonyms. Psalm sixty nine thirty. I will praise the name of the Lord I will I will praise the name of God with a song. I will magnify him with thanksgiving. With our singing, with our with our thankfulness. We praise him, we magnify him. So we put this all together. For God to be glorified is for his excellence to be made known and especially to be appreciated. And that especially happens for him to be appreciated. We need to, he needs to have people that are equipped to appreciate him. Fourth point here. Glorifying God is an act of the heart. At its core, we'll talk about this more, for the reason God made us. God was already glorified in himself. He knew how awesome he was. The Father knows how awesome, knows how awesome the Son, knows how awesome the Father is. So, you know, he, he knew this, but he wanted to share this with others. And he wanted to share with people that had the capacity to understand this and to appreciate how awesome he is. And we see this is a good thing for God to do. And so I think part of being created in the image of God is being created with the capacity to know God and to understand and to appreciate him. Glorifying God is something that we do with our heart. That God is glorified when he is seen and when he is treasured in the hearts of people that are equipped and capable of delighting in him. So we say the heavens declare the glory of God and they, they do. But he's glorified more when there's people that can see the heavens And acknowledge that, wow, this is made by an awesome God who must be an awesome creator in his power, in his design and just his wonder to to do all this and make all this. And you can look at all of life and be thinking that we're going to keep unpacking this in this series because you glory what you you glorify what you treasure what you delight in, what you value. Your heart views that as great. It makes it look great. Your life is going to be different based on what you view as great and awesome. And other people will see that, that the way that you live your life is going to show what you really delight in, what really gets you going, what you really treasure the most. Let me say this another way, because I think this is a helpful way to think about it. When we think of worship, you know, worship is a sense of glorifying God. It's it's praising him. It's doing this. But we need to realize that all singing isn't worship. This is the first part we need to get. I mean, you could be here and you could be singing and maybe you're the best singer that is here. You know, but maybe you are, you're singing the songs, but you're thinking about lunch and what you got to do today. You're thinking about all these other things. Maybe your heart is somewhere else. okay. And so even if you're singing words that are true and beautiful of God, your heart could be somewhere else. So all singing isn't worship, and all worship isn't singing. Singing is a way that we worship. It's, it's biblical, it's appropriate, and we do it together, and there's definitely a place for that. But you know what? What would happen if you got in an accident tonight and your vocal cords were damaged and you never spoke again? Does that mean you don't worship God? You can't glorify him? You can and you should because it is not something that is done primarily with our with our voice and our vocal cords. If you get laryngitis, if you lose your voice, if something happens, that is not the organ that you use, it's your heart. Your heart is what you use to glorify God. And your heart doesn't just mean biblically your emotions. That's the way that we tend to use it. The heart in Scripture is your core. It includes your thinking. It includes your uh, your affections and all of this, that is what you glorify the Lord with. We're going to pack this a lot more next week. My last point that I'll give you is that God knows the truth about his supreme glory. He knows this. He knows that he is the center. He knows that he is all that. He knows that he is glorious. And we get bugged when other people act that way, when other people act that they're the center of the universe, when other people act that they are just glorious and awesome and and wonderful. And that is wrong. It's wrong for me to do that. It's wrong for you to do that because you're not the center. Because it's not about you, it's not about me. I am not the all satisfying treasure. You are not the all satisfying treasure. But if you happen to be the all-satisfying treasure, it's good for you to know that. If you are the all-satisfying treasure and you are also all-knowing, you're going to know that you are the all-satisfying treasure. If you happen to be the center of the whole universe and you're all-knowing, you're going to know that you are the center of the universe. And it's not wrong for you to know that. God would be believing a lie if you believed that something else was the center of the universe. You now, it's, it's not wrong for the, for the sun to to be the center of the solar system. Okay, for the, the sun in the sky, the, nothing else could be. If you tried to replace that with something else, it wouldn't work. It holds everything together. And the sun, is, it gives life to everything else. God, it's appropriate for him to be at the center. He knows he is the center. He knows he is most glorious. And if we don't see that, if we don't see that the sun is bright, the problem is not with the sun. The problem is with us. It's with our eyes or where we're looking. It's not a problem with the Son. God knows this. And God knows that he deserves to be glorified. That's just truth. And God knows truth. So he knows this. He has to know it. He says, my glory I will not give to another. He knows he's a satisfying, all-satisfying treasure. So if you said, is God self-centered? Well, in a sense, yes. Because he he knows he's the center. And he's the only one that can be. He's the only one that should be. He's self-centered, I would say, but he's not selfish because he is giving and it is good for him to be at the center because we're going to see that that is where our ultimate joy, our ultimate delight comes from. That until we put God as center and we appreciate him, you are not going to have the fulfillment that you were designed to have, that you were created to have. The chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. He needs to be there. He needs to be in that position and to encourage it. True happiness for you and for everyone is ultimately found only in him. And remember, if you're thinking, well, this God, he keeps putting himself in the center and this is also the God that came down to this world in Jesus Christ who humbled himself and went to the cross for your salvation, taking your place so that you could be saved. So when we think about this God, yes, he is, he is the center and he knows it, but he's not a, let's say, a selfish God. He is a God that is, that is giving and he invites you to put him as the center. And Jesus died so that he could be the center of your world and you could have the joy that comes in knowing him as Lord and Savior. All these things, God knowing he's the center, he's the most glorious being, all satisfying. If this is true, if God is center, it means he is more important than any of us. He doesn't exist for us, we exist for him. He is not your magic genie, here to grant your wishes. We exist for him. If all of this is true, it means that God's glory is more important than your glory or my glory. We're not here for our ego to be built up. Life isn't about our ego. It's for, it's for his glory. God's reputation is more important than yours or mine. But think about whose reputation are we more concerned about usually? Concerned about our own. How do people think of me? Instead of thinking, how do people think about God? Whose reputation, whose name are we concerned about most? Whose approval matters to you the most? If God is center, it doesn't matter what other people at school or your teacher or your boss or your co-workers or your neighbors or your spouse or your kids or your mom or your dad think. What matters most, what is the God that made you think? The God that is the center of the world. And what God thinks is more important than me and it's more important than you, we all have our opinions, but God is the truth. He's the one that made this world. And if you disagree with God, like the old preacher said, that if you disagree with God, if that rubs you the wrong way, then turn the cat around because God's word doesn't change. What God says is more important than what we say or what we think. God's the center. We want to live like he really is the center. It's not about you. It's about him. And that's really, really good. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you that you are the center of everything. You are the the glorious sun in the middle of all reality, Lord God. Reality doesn't revolve around us. And forgive us for thinking that in our heart. We revolve around you. Everything is for you, for your glory. Everything ultimately flows into and funnels for your glory. It is not a reason that things exist. Your glory is the ultimate reason that everything exists. So let us be about that. And Lord, may we lift you up in our hearts and in our lives. May we live lives that show that we value you more than anything else. And as we do this, Lord, we thank you because in this there is great joy. You get the glory and we get the joy. We give you our praise. And we thank you for Jesus Christ who allows us, because of his sacrifice as our substitute, to come to you and to enjoy you forever.